Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, welcome to your neighborhood pharmacy. Hi, I've got a prescription for diabetes test strips. How much is the copay? Well, it depends on your type of commercial insurance and factoring in your yearly spend, subtracting the deductibles, also depending on your monthly Ugh, allowance. Why can't there be a better option? Or you could try Contour Next test strips. A 35 counts only $19.99 over the counter and proven to be highly accurate. Go to contournext.com slash radio to see if over-the-counter strips are a more affordable option for you. Hmm, I think I'll try Contour Next. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Diaries of an Old Lady. I'm Dave Downey and throughout this series both myself and Matt Jones are going to tell you the story of Goodison Park as you've never heard it before. Everton will be moving to a new home in the not too distant future so we've decided to begin documenting Goodison's greatest moments in a way that's never been done before with a series of uniquely produced podcasts released every single week with in-depth interviews of the moments that shook the old lady to her very core told by the people who made it happen and those in attendance. The story begins in what we think is a fitting way. My first guest on Diaries of an Old Lady is a man who played a massive part in bringing about Everton's most successful era. This man won two league titles, a Cup Winners' Cup and an FA Cup. He's also the club's post-war record goalscorer. It is, of course, the legendary Graham Sharp. Having the fans behind you, you know, at home, will get you over the line. And we knew when we needed a little bit of help, would get it together it was a fantastic experience to be a to be a player at the time and i'm sure a fan as well in towards andy gray up go the head flicked on towards sharp oh it's there graham sharp has put it in and everton are level andy gray's header under the near post forced in by graham sharp who has scored in every round of the competition and keeps up the record at the time that everton needed it most one more and it's roger down Stevens takes a throw in towards the near post. Van Helden, no, he didn't play. Look, he did it to goal. Andy Gray has put Everton in front. Fired and furious because Faf came for the wrong throw. Felt he was impeded, didn't collect it. But Andy Gray didn't stand around and find out. He thumped it in the back of the net. Celebration time at Goodison Park. They're very close to their first European final now because Andy Gray, a hat-trick in the quarter-final, has come up with a crucial semi-final goal. And Everton are in front. And 
inside the by and half. Trevor Stephen has a great chance. Edge of the penalty area. Trevor Stephen sends Everton to the final. 3-1 the score on the night. And that will be the goal that does it. Trevor Stephen's first ever in European competition sends Everton to their first ever final. And you can tell your grandchildren about this night. Corner kick on the right-hand side. Sheedy will take it in towards the near post. Not headed away convincingly by Gregory. Back in by Gray. Founded how Mountfield 1-0. Derek Mountfield breaks the deadlock. Here's Bracewell, midway inside the Rangers half. Square to Pat Vanden Howe. Crossed in again with a left foot. Graham Sharp with a headed chance. 2-0. Graham Sharp's 30th of the season. Ignites the fuse. The party has started. Everton now are the champions. You can be sure of that. Everton have a throw-in just inside their own half on the left-hand side. The referee milking the situation, has his whistle in his mouth. That's it. Champions. Everton complete the first leg of the treble and go on to Rotterdam and to Wembley as the champions of England. Howard, congratulations. How does the championship feel the second time around? Well, it feels very sweet tonight. Um, this is a hard slog. We start off in August and we want to, want to prove to be the best, like everyone else, and we've achieved that today. Um, with five games left, I think it's a tremendous achievement that we'll be able to play. When you were at Dumbarton Sharp and you got the call that Everton were interested in you, what was it that attracted you to come down to England and, and experience playing for the club? Well, I think it was always something I wanted to do. As a kid, uh, I wanted to be a footballer. Um, and I was fortunate enough, I had a good amateur career. And then I went to Dumbarton part-time, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, but my my ambition was always to play at the highest level I possibly could, and in those days it was it was down in England. You know, obviously Rangers and Celtic appealed, uh, but it was English football I wanted to try. My hero at the time was was Andy Gray. My favourite team was was Aston Villa because of Andy Gray. And before I signed for Everton, I had the the opportunity to go to Villa, uh, but unbeknown to me, the directors had. Uh, disagreed over something I'm not too sure so Villa weren't happy but when I first came down to Everton with my, my dad my dad drove me down uh, I came down not thinking that I was going to sign I just thought I was coming down to, to look around the place went to Belfield trouble finding that to start with but looked around Belfield got introduced to the players George Wood he said Hartford John Gidman Bob Latchford Brian Kidd you know and I'm thinking wow these are top players so it was an experience for me then we went to Goodison uh Wow, and you know the size of the stadium. We actually there was a restaurant in the stadium. We had a lunch there, and I'm thinking, wow, this is good. This I've never been to a football stadium before and seen that side of things. So I thought, wow, great. Then the next minute, I know uh, the director and the manager of, of Dumbarton have been called into the secretary's office to talk to Jim Greenwood. He came out after about twenty minutes. They just asked my dad and I to go in. Uh, and he put a contract in front of me. It was as simple as that. There was a contract, you know, and I'd. I looked at Ophel and I thought, what did I do? Help. <laughs> and the contract was three years, 150 quid a week. Uh, I think it was five grand a year signing on fee. Uh, and I looked at my dad. My dad just said, it seems like a fabulous club. Uh, it's something you've always wanted to do. Uh, so it's up to you. So I signed the, the, the contract there and then. Shook hands with Jim Green, with the secretary. Walked out. Drove back up the road to Glasgow. My dad drove back up the road. Uh, I went out that night and played football with my mates in the in the local park. And saying to him, I've just signed for Everton. Yeah, yeah, good one. I said, honestly, I have. Read it in the papers in the morning. So 
that was how easy it was, you know. But it was something I always wanted to do. Now, the, the club itself wasn't in the best state back mm. then. I think Gordon Lee was sort of coming towards the end of his time mm. at Everton, and he put that faith in you to come down. There was a couple of other young players mm. who joined you at the same time. Mm. Was what was the perception of Everton at that time? Was it that it, it petered out because we won the league in nineteen seventy? At, at that stage, obviously, before all the success that was to follow. Were we considered a sleeping giant back then, or were we just an also ran in the in the top no, division? From, from from my point of view, Dave, it was just the fact that I wanted to come down to England and play football. And obviously, I was I was a student of football, if you like. I knew everything about every English team and where they played, and the names of the stadiums and the players they had. So I was well aware of the the, the good players that Everton had, the ones I've mentioned before. You know, they were a good squad. You know, and. Uh, you know, these these were players that I, I, I saw on television and I, I read about in the Shoot magazine and the Goal magazine at the time. Uh, so I knew I was joining a big club. You know, obviously, once you get down to the club and you, then you start to, to, to learn more and more about it and the history and the players that have, have been before you and what you have to live up to. And that was something that was, was mentioned because I was coming down as a centre forward. I scored a few goals at Dumbarton right away. You know, in the first few conversations I had with supporters, it was Joe Royal, Bob Latchford, Dixie Dean, Alex Young. You know, all these people that you had to, if you were wanting to wear the number nine at Everton, you had to try and emulate. So there was pressure on me from that uh, side of things, but I knew I was joining a big club. You know, I knew I was joining a big club, but in those days, you know, you know, you'd say the top clubs were unfortunate, were, were our neighbours, you know, and... The fact, I think, that, you know, they were full of Scotsmen as well. You know, Douglas and Hansen were there and soonest later on. You know, it was it was a big thing for me to come down to, to Liverpool as a city. But, you know, I knew I was joining a big club and I joined Everton. We see it nowadays when players refer to clubs as stepping stones and, mm. and using them as a destination to get perhaps to somewhere else, somewhere mm. bigger and better. Maybe Everton are one of those clubs now. Mm. Was that the case back then, or did, did was it very much much of a muchness in terms of English clubs? There was more um, scope for any club to really do well, providing they had the right players. The finances obviously weren't the same yeah, as they are now. I think it's changed, David. I think in those days you just wanted to play. You know, we wanted to play football. When I first came down, I wanted to get in the first team. That was the main goal. That was the main objective. I wanted to play at Goodison in front of fifty thousand, whatever it was, fifty-two thousand. That's that was my goal. You know, I just wanted to come down here and play football. You know, in the, in the early years, it was a possibility I could have moved back to Scotland. Alec Ferguson wanted me to Aberdeen. Uh, there was talk about another couple of clubs down here as well, but that was of no interest to me. You know, I wanted to... I had a three-year contract when I first came down. I wanted to prove myself here. It was difficult. It was a bit of homesickness. But I never, ever viewed Everton as a stepping stone. You know, I always knew, right, this is my chance. This is what I wanted to do. This is I want to play in the first team. I want to play alongside these players and then when you get into the side you want to play to win things then you know you, you want to play because it's your own personal pride but as a player you want to win things you know whether it's a five aside on a, on a Friday morning or whatever you wanted to win so that was that was my genuine belief I didn't I didn't see myself if I did okay here I could maybe go back to to Rangers or Celtic that was not even I never even thinking that listen later on in my career I had the opportunity to join a few clubs kind of thing but no, I'd always stayed loyal to Everton because Everton was a club that gave me the opportunity. It was a club that I was really, really happy with and I didn't, there was no really reason for me to move on. And it was Gordon Lee more so, but he came to the end of his time mm -hmm. pretty quickly after you arrived. Were you then thinking, 
what's next? What's mm. the new manager going to be like? What's what's going to happen here? And yeah. of course, it was Howard Kendall, already a legend at the club as well. Was it an uncertain time for you when he came in? Absolutely. You know, listen, when I came down at first, and when I came, I was nowhere near the first team. No one near. It was only a, uh, a skinny lad from Scotland, which you know might, might be hard to believe nowadays. But <laughs> it, it was it was tough for me, and I was miles away. I remember making my debut. You know, at, uh, at Brighton, coming on for Bob Latcher, and I'm thinking, I'm like a school kid in the playground here I'm miles away from this you know experience wise strength wise so I thought wow then listen Colin Harvey was a great help to me great help to me and and pushed me really hard in the reserves and and he made me become the player I was but you know once the manager leaves that signs you you then think wow how's this going to go then he comes in Howard Kendall and, and signs a magnificent seven you know of those seven you know you've got Mick Ferguson Alan Bailey You've already got Peter Easo there. He was a good player, uh, and you're thinking mm, this isn't this isn't good. You know, I'm I'm getting knocked down, and he made it quite abundantly clear at the beginning this is the way he was going to go. Uh, obviously, history tells you that it didn't work out for those players apart from from Neville. But eventually, I think because he had no other option, he had to play me. You know, that's how I got my opportunity. Notts County away, Bailey was injured, Ferguson was injured. Uh, some of the other lads who were probably ahead of me were injured as well and he had no other option to throw me in at Notts County I think Colin Harvey had kept championing me and saying listen give him a chance give him a chance went in at Notts County we drew the game 2-2 I scored that night and I stayed in for the rest of the season and it's just remarkably lucky people talk about you know being a footballer and how good and everything else you have to have luck on your side as well. You know, you have, you could be the most talented player in the world and and not have the luck. You have bad luck with injuries, but you need luck along the way. And, and certainly that game at Notts County, I only played because everybody else was injured. And uh, as I said, I went on from there, and you know, I stayed in the team. So it was it was difficult for me at the time because you always get the feeling from the manager as well that he doesn't really fancy me here. You know, it might material what you do, and you know, he's not really I'm not really fancying me. And then. The more I was playing and the more goals I was scoring, I think I kind of turned it around a little bit. Uh, but I was never ever, how could I say, you never ever sat back in your laurels because you never always knew that, you know, you could be out the door, you know, if it was up to him. Mm. What was your relationship like with him, with the staff? Because to me, that sounds like he's not really come up to you and said, you need to do this, this and this mm. to get in the team. Or he's not said to you, well, I don't really fancy you as mm. a player, you need to go. Was it was he very standoffish? Did he not did he not have that line of communication with you where he would we would tell you where you were at, at being no, at the club? No, didn't, Dave. You're right. It's a good good question. But he never never had a even in the successful times. I never had a close relationship with him. Uh, you know, obviously. Did anybody, did anybody anybody else really? I think when when the older players came in, I think he had a more of a rapport with the older players. But I think for the younger players, you know, I, I look at that side that when I was breaking through, there was like Paul Lodge and there was Steve McMahon. Uh, Joe McBride was another one in there, and there was certain young players in there. So whilst we would get called over maybe on a Friday to make the numbers up, kind of thing, but I don't think there was any. This is what you have to do. You were always reading the newspapers, see if we're interested in this one, so that's put me further down the line, blah blah blah. So didn't really have any interaction with the manager. You know, I was I was more uh, answerable to to Colin Harvey, who was a reserve team coach, and it's changed an awful lot nowadays. But certainly in those days. No, unless you were involved in the first team, the manager didn't really have a lot to do with you. Obviously, it was down to Colin and all the other coaches to to put your name forward and say, "Listen, he'll train with you today. He's doing well in training. Blah blah. He's doing well in the games. He deserves a chance to at least train with you." And I remember doing that kind of thing. But uh, 
At times it was hard because especially when you were you're getting new players coming in, you're thinking this ain't happening. For I think Barnsley was another club I, I could have went to with Norman Hunter. As I said, Alec Ferguson came in for me a couple of times at Aberdeen. Uh, and it was touch and go. And in those days, you, when I first came down, I signed a three-year contract. And going into that third year, you were all over the place. You know, you're just thinking, how's it going to go? And they waited and waited and waited until the last week of the season. And then you got a knock and you said, come in, OK. There's a, and it wasn't a discussion. It was a case of, there you are. We'll give you a fiver increase, take it or leave it. And put it in front of you, and that was that was how it went. Those no agents, so because you wanted to stay, you signed a contract. Never argued about money. Never even mentioned any money. Blah blah blah. You just wanted to sit, and so I signed my second contract, uh, and then it, it all went from there. You know, and obviously the better you were doing, the more you know, the more money you were earning, and your contracts got better, and more you felt part of the club and part of the team, uh, and somebody you wanted to stay. Doesn't seem like it was quite the integration the players get now. You know where you you find out they've got all sorts of this support network. Mm. For you, a young lad coming down from Scotland, you don't know you don't know your arse from your elbow no, when you come into no, Goodison. Get on with it, get yeah. on with it. You know, and I was in digs for 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 the first two three years, and and I have to say that the the, the family I went with uh, eventually were were fabulous for me. You know, the, the second family, and they really Evertonians really looked after me, uh, and they had a big 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 say in what I was doing as well. You know, they made sure that you know you had to live your life the right way as well, you know, and they were part and parcel of it. So I was very grateful for, for Jimmy and Betty Duval, uh, who had, who had, had uh, stayed in digs with. But listen, I was I was playing. I used to, my dad used to come down on a Saturday, Central League game, drive down from Scotland, kick off at two o'clock. You know, in those days it was Everton versus Manchester United away. The reserves played at Goodison, two o'clock kickoff. I would play the game, rush out after, get changed, rush out after, jump my dad's car, drive up, back up the road to Glasgow, which in those days was four and a half hours, whatever it was, no motorways in, up, stay the Saturday night, come back down on the train on Sunday, six o'clock train from Glasgow to come back down again to Liverpool to start training again on the Monday. So homesickness was a was a big thing for me as well. And you know, when things aren't going well for you, you know, the the first thing you want to do is is run away and go back to, to where mm. you, you feel you belong. But you know, I think I got one day when my parents just sat down and said, "Listen, this is this is down to you. You know, if if you really want this, you know, you need to stop. You know, coming back." And to be fair, they were right, and you know, things got better for me in terms of the football. And hey ho, it moved on. Did you never come close to packing it in? No, never, never packed in. Never. They would have. I mean, to, I mean, just the Everton. Yeah, they, they would. No, they would have had to told me. You know, they would have had yeah. to told you. It wouldn't have been for. A lack of effort. I always remember calling Harvey as well. And when we used to tell the story where we used to train in the morning and then he'd single out, he'd go, You, 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 you're in this afternoon. And we go, And then the other lads would be laughing and they'd be away at the snooker club and and having a few beers and like, You're in, you're out again at one o'clock. And you go, And I remember him pulling me one day and he said, You need a word. And I said, What? He said, Let me tell you, if I didn't think you had a chance of making it, you would have went with them and played snooker he said but I think you've got a chance whilst I think you've got a chance you'll be in most afternoons working out and listen he was absolutely fantastic for me so he used to bring back Paul Lodge Brian Burrows Steve McMahon Joe McBride all those players and we just always do different things and obviously in, in my position it was all about hold up play getting hold of the ball under pressure and he worked his in the afternoon and it was brilliant so at no stages did I, did I want to quit I never ever thought of that but I thought at times 
you know, it would be touch and go whether they got another contract or not. Mm-hmm. So obviously these are the things that you want to get at the end of the at the end of your contract. But certainly I was never one that would would have looked at quitting. That patience, perseverance, words associated with things like that mm. probably sort of define you as a player as well. Do you, do you feel that that sort of early learning guide that you had at the club and finding it so difficult put you in good stead for what was to come later on? Yeah, I think so, Dave. I think but growing up, people would tell me I was the worst loser in the world. I hated losing. You know, if, if I played something, and I know people say this, but I did, if I played something, I wanted to win. It didn't matter, you know. You're the same with the quizzes on Radio City. No, I am as well, yeah, I as well. But even with the kids growing up, and, you know, they'd tell you the same, whether it be Monopoly or whatever, kind yeah. of arguments, and they'd be crying and everything else. <laughs> uh, but no, that's what I was, and I think that's something that developed in me when, when I was playing football from a young age up in Scotland, and I just wanted to, to be be down here and be the best and, and, and play and win things. You know, listen, you could have played for the majority of your career and not won anything but I was fortunate that you know things kicked off at Everton in the right way and you know we went on to be successful that's something I always strive I always strive for so listen it wasn't just me it was a group of players at the time who were all buying into the same thing you know and uh, they were all winners in there as well so listen it, it takes a lot to be a success and you certainly need to help your teammates mm. to do that as well on to Goodison then, which is sort of the basis mm. of our conversation. Um, you experienced it, I think, at a, at a peculiar time because things weren't great when, mm. when you were in and around the club. What were your first impressions of it? Did you feel as if it, it was somewhere that had a massive potential to be a sort of a, a, a fortress if Everton got it right? Or was it was it a difficult crowd to appease at that time in the early mm. going when you got your chance? It was, Dave. I've always said that. It's a real... Goodison's fabulous, you know, when things are going well, even in our time, fabulous. But when it's not, it's the hardest place in the world to play. I remember playing there in, in a cup game against Coventry, I think it was 9,000 there. And wow, you could hear everything getting shouted towards you. And it's not just that, you could actually see who was shouting it, you know, there's that many gaps <laughs> in the terrace. And so you could actually, so it's a really hard place. And listen, things weren't going well under, under Howard Kendall. Uh, and it was really, really tough. You know, you're looking around at a not full stadium, you know, pockets obviously you would, we would win some games and lose some games but didn't seem to be any uh, consistency in that but you know, slowly but surely you know, and, and through you know, the, the Sir Philip Carter and his trust in the manager uh, it came together but the word I use again is respect, at the time there was a respect for the football club there was a respect from the players to the to the management, to the directors, to the chairman, everything else. And it was a proper, proper football club. It was a proper football club. Everybody knew the history of it and how it would, you know, the, the Moorses and, and the money they invested and everything else. But it was a proper football club. You knew that you had to be the best at everything you'd done. You knew you had to carry yourself and, and act properly and everything else. So there was all this pressure as well. You know, and obviously the supporters wanted to see a successful team, you know, and, and and even like a similar to now, it doesn't happen overnight. And there was times when Howard was close. You know, I talked about the nine thousand at Coventry. You talked about the Oxford game. So these were these were trying times for for not just Howard and the, the staff, but the players as well. Mm. But playing at Goodison is great. Don't get me wrong, great. And even even see it now, some players can't handle it. You know, mm. some players have come from, I would say, smaller clubs. When they get to the, you know, what they need to expect. Some some fall short at Goodison. They just can't handle mentally, you know how tough it is to, mm. to play there. Um, from when you signed, 
to the success that you had a few years later, you've seen it at its best mm-hmm. and, and at its worst. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like during the days, before we get onto the games you've chosen, mm-hmm. what was it like during the days that it was at its best? I mean, we're talking peak mid-80s when yeah. we're going through our most successful stint as a football club. I mean, do you fully appreciate what's going on around you when you're playing a match there? You do. And the, the one thing that amazed me was, you know, you, you looked at that time and, you know, the, the stadium was full and it was a fantastic atmosphere and everybody was in the high because the supporters were coming to the games expecting to see the team win. Us as players knew that we were going to win the game. You know, that wasn't being big-headed or whatever, but we just had that belief in us, whether it be home or away, we'd win the game. Or if we went a goal down, we wouldn't lose the game, we'd get back into it. So we had this enormous belief, and I think the supporters had that as well. So they enjoyed coming through the turnstiles, you know, wanting to see goals, wanting to see good play. And I think you, you look at the team we had at that time, and, you know, some fantastic players. Look at Sheeds and, and, and Trevor on both sides. You know, for, for a centre-forward like myself and Andy Gray, unbelievable. You know, when you go all the way through to the best goalkeeper in the world at the time, Kevin Ratcliffe, one of the best centre-backs, we had a great team and I think everybody realised that and they wanted to get behind it. And the thing that amazed me in those times, and listen, it was difficult times on, on Merseyside as it was in many cities throughout the UK, but the following we used to get was incredible. Even pre-season trips, you know, the other end, the other side of the world, there'd be Evertonians who travelled there, planes, trains, automobiles, whatever you want to say, they got there. And it was incredible for a pre-season friendly. So that was the thing I think it struck me and I thought, wow, you know, these guys are, this is this is proper. You know, these are proper fans. This is what, what it's all about. And we, we heard about the, the success in the, in the 70s with uh, the Holy Trinity and the players here and then before that as well. And we were well, well aware of the history of the football club. We were made aware of that as well, that what we had to try and emulate. So it it was a tough time, but it was a good time, you know, mm. because, you know, we, we, we all came together at the right time and we had disbelief in ourselves, but... The crowds were, were, were fabulous. The crowds were absolutely fabulous. And people say nowadays you draw comparisons and you just went there and you knew as a player, you had, and I always say this to people now, you knew as a player, you knew what the Evertonians were all about. If you gave it 100% commitment and had a right good go and lost the game, they'd accept that. They wouldn't be happy, but they'd accept it because they saw the team having a right good goal. They couldn't point any fingers. And I always try and say that to people. And I look at the players nowadays and, you know, I'm looking at the boy in the ass even and, and back at Yoko and going through all this. And lads who maybe weren't the best talented, but they had a fantastic attitude and you could see the the, the, the supporters take that. So we knew that we had to roll up our sleeves and we weren't going to win every game. But if we had a right good goal, we had a good chance of winning it. And that's what we had with a great bunch of lads with the right attitude throughout the club. There wasn't a bad egg and Howard has to take a lot of credit for that as well. He was very good at the players he was bringing in, made sure they wouldn't disrupt the dressing room. Uh, so it was a great time and, and the fans loved it. That's a, that was the most important thing. We were great as players, but without the backing of the fans, we wouldn't have been anywhere. On your three greatest moments mm-hmm. that you've given me, um, I think I've ranked these in the order in which you'd have them. So to start with the third, first, it's the four-all against Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've put Bayern at the top, yeah, uh, and obviously the, uh, the winning the league mm-hmm. 2 0 at home to mm-hmm. QPR's second. Would you say that's probably fair? Yeah, I would say so. I think obviously the Bayern game for atmosphere was was incredible. You know, the other two for atmosphere were incredible as well, but the Bayern one stands out. But, you know, the I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking the 4-4 game was a derby game. 
anything can happen. But at that time, the clubs were really, really close in terms of fighting for honours and everything else. But I'll remember it and, you know, looking at it and looking back, all of Liverpool's goals were really good goals. All of Everton's goals were scrappy, <laughs> scruffy. And that was just part and parcel. That's what's made it such a great game. You know, you're, you're looking at one stage and thinking John Barnes bending one in the top corner and go, well, then me getting on the back pass and scuffing it in the, the net kind of thing from a yard out. But it was a great game to be involved in. And I remember walking off, it had everything. It was passion as a top bit before, passion, commitment, you know, from the fans, tackles getting won and lost and everything else and blood and guts. But coming off, and I think it was with Gary Abbott as I walked off, and I went, wow, what have we been just involved in there? What a game that was. Staunton drives an early ball down the near side. Ratcliffe caught in possession by Rush. Now, clean through, goal number 24, is it? Rush round south goal, no! Amazing goal line clearance. Beardsley drives it back in, and it's a goal for Liverpool. Hinchcliffe, terrific defensive header though. Now into the far post, and a goal! And it was a terrific header. Liverpool have a corner. Near side, their right, taken short by Beardsley to Mulvey. Lot of space, right hand side of the box, clips it in. Rush with a header, three-two, and Ian Rush has done it again. The irrepressible scourge of Evertonians gets his 24th goal in his 28th derby. Now McCall, edge of the area, through ball, looking for Cotty. Unbelievable! And Tony Cotty, whose career at Everton has been under doubt in the last few weeks, he's been out of the side. But Howard Kendall is out of the dugout. The Everton manager is shaking his fist towards his players. Barnes. Barnes is really up for it now. He's got so much confidence. Round one, then another. Curls the ball in. Great goal. That is an absolutely brilliant goal. World-class finishing. Hinchcliffe. Loose control by Hinchcliffe. Back pass is a bad one. I don't believe it. Liverpool committed suicide once more you know and it was it was really like wow because it changed it kept changing at one moment we're out of it and then we were back in it and then we're out of it back in it and it was a fabulous night's entertainment you know and I think both sets of supporters you know were just amazed at what they just witnessed you know mm -hmm. absolutely amazing obviously <coughs> at the back of it Douglas resigns uh, and we win the replay which is the most important thing that's what it was all about winning the game uh, but what a game to be involved in. Absolutely. Probably the best best derby game in terms of a game and a match and commitment and passion that I've probably been involved in. Well, the the thing that I thought would make it up there for you personally mm. was because they were your last goals for mm. us. Um, and again, you mentioned like that scrappy one where mm. you're just basically chasing into the yeah. goal line. Um, one of the iconic images we're going to be using to this for everyone to have a look at is you sort of reeling away towards the Gladys Street mm -hmm. and the crowd behind you, some of them are on the pitch yeah. and things like that. <laughs> um, did it feel for you personally like you were coming towards the end of your time with the club? Because you, you, I think you, you only made maybe a dozen games after that. Yeah. Uh, listen, there, there comes a time when everybody has has a time. Everybody has to move on. Uh did I feel as if it was coming to the end? 
I don't know. I think when you come from the highs that we had been, you know, and then you get people moving on, and you get people moving in, and I just thought at the time we weren't the same Everton. We, we weren't the same Everton that we were. You know, new signings, and it can happen with new signings. And Colin had gone, hadn't he? Colin had gone. Yeah, Howard came back. back, and you know, you're, you're looking at it, and and I'm thinking, well. He didn't. It was just the way he left was was a disappointing thing for me. You know, the, he he thought he was bringing the Dean Saunders into the club and uh, from Derby. Yeah, yeah, and he said he said that he he was coming in and uh, you know that I know he knew that I'd spoken to Joe Royal, which was rubbish because never sp- I hadn't spoken to Joe. This is Colin. It, this was Howard. This is Howard. Sorry, yeah. So Howard, so he says, "No, I'm going to move you on. You, you can go to Oldham." And I said, "No, I'm going to Oldham." He said, "Well, I'm bringing Saunders in and." It'll be Saunders and, and Tony Cotty up front. I said, well, fine. I said, I'll, I'll bide my time. You know, I said, I think I'll be in. But you go home. I went home that night and then more and more I thought about it. And I thought, well, what am I doing here? I'm thinking I've got an opportunity to go and play. And that's what I wanted to do. I was wanted to go and play. I wasn't... You still need 30, 31. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to stay somewhere where I wasn't going to play. And I was going to just sit on the bench and, and go here, there and everywhere. Uh, that wasn't for me. I needed to play. So a little bit disappointed the way it ended. But listen, it has to end. You know, you can't stay there forever, you know, so it has to end. And, and probably by that time, yeah, I was probably ready for a move. Uh, listen, as I said to you before, I could have moved many times. I could have moved to Manchester United. I could have moved to Italy or France. But I always stayed loyal to Everton because I didn't really want to move, you know. But when when the writing's on the wall and when he he, he comes up the manager and actually tells you that this is where the, the way he's going to go... Uh, I think it was the best thing for me to do was was to move on. Well, we ended up with Beardsley, didn't we? When, I think Peter when came, Saunders yeah, went to Liverpool. Pe- yeah, Peter came in. Uh, I think it was Mike Newell there at the time as well. Uh, well it was you two started that, and Cotty as Cotty well, was there, yeah. yeah. So this is the way he wanted to go. And listen, fair, fair play, and that's, that's what he wanted to do. But I went to Oldham. I had a great time at Oldham. You know, 15 goals in the first year. Played really, really well, really enjoyable. Uh, and a few injuries after that kind of curtailed me a little bit. But... No, I thought coming to the end, when you look at my goal scoring record, it wasn't it wasn't as good as it was. But probably that's down to where the team was playing and and mm. who we'd let go. And you know, it was difficult. Listen, I've had a fantastic time at Everton. Really, really good. I, I couldn't say one one bad word about it. You know, but it was sad when you leave. But everybody has to at one stage. And you know, it was just the way it happened. It was probably wasn't great, but. You know, listen, nobody can take away anything that, that, that what I've done at Evan. Was it difficult for you as well because you'd experienced so th- those highs, which mm. to this day still stand, unfortunately. We haven't been able mm. to replicate that, mm. certainly in my lifetime anyway. When you see that in 87 and then the disappointments of what the fallout of what happened with Heisel and players mm. moving on for whatever reason, mm. do, do you sort of, is it, is it hard to keep yourself motivated as a player? I know you're a professional and obviously each game you're going out there to fight 100% and stuff, but Mentally, internally, is there any sort of doubts that there are times being and gone here? Does that figure in your thinking in terms of maybe moving on a bit? Well, yeah, I think, listen, when when we won it at first, it was brilliant. And then the, the, the next shot was Andy Gray coming round the house and saying that he's, he sold me and he's bringing in Gary Lineker. So that's a shot right away. And you think, well, why has he done that? We've just won the, the, the cup. We're on in the league. We're going to have a right good go. Uh, that was a shock. Lineker came in, uh, but we never. It's the most Everton thing in the world, not winning yeah. the trophy when he came in and he yeah. scored a forty. And we struck up a good partnership with Gary. You know, for for the one year he scored a lot of goals, I scored a lot of goals. Things were good. We won the league the next year. 
everything was great, you know, so there wasn't a problem there. We still had that that belief. But I think if you if you look at the difference between the first title winning season and the second one, the first one was a I would say was a team one, you know, where there was thirteen players, fourteen possibly, you know, I'm talking about Kevin Richardson and Alan Harper. I think the second championship winning side was more of a squad. Neil Poynton, Paul Power, Wayne Clark, people like that. Uh, but I think after that, if I'm honest and I'm brutally honest, I think the quality of the player wasn't going to get us back to where we were. You know, and that's no disrespect, but what we were used to, we never got. You know, mm. and listen, whether that's signing, and listen, everybody knows signing players is a gamble. Uh, everything else, but I just thought the quality of the player that that, that came into the football club wasn't go- weren't going to get us back to to the top. You know where it was becoming harder and harder, and teams are moving on. I don't think we actually progress. If I'm honest with mm. you, I thought after we won our second title, I think we just kind of melted. And seeing that Colin achieve sixth place now, would we, bet your arm off for that nowadays. But you know it wasn't deemed good enough. You know, and that, that shows you what the standards were at the time. You know, if six isn't good enough, he needed to be up there and winning. But I just thought when when the squad was getting chopped and changed, Trevor left, and Gary Stevens left, she did a few injuries. I just don't think we replaced those players, you know, with, with, with the players that would get us up to the calibre mm-hmm. where we were before. And that was, that was a disappointing thing. But did it make me want to leave? That is when the opportunities came that I could have maybe moved abroad. Uh, and it, it didn't materialise. But listen, as I said, that, that that's by the by. These things mm. happen, you know, and it's just you. But I was absolutely delighted to, to play as many games as I, I did for the football club and scored, you know, 160 goals. So nobody can take that away from me. But obviously there's there's times in your career where you, you wish for a little bit more, but uh, it wasn't to be. It's obviously a contentious issue on, in this city to this day. Mm. Um, some of the things you hear going around about it. But as a player who was there at the time, did the lack of European football have a profound effect on on everybody concerned with the club? Uh, listen, I think it's everybody's dream to play in, in the European Cup as it was then. You know, a lot, of, a lot of fans will say that we could have won it, which we could have, but we could have been knocked out in the first round, which we could have. You know, so we'll never know that. Sad that we never got the opportunity to do it, which inevitably has led to, to, to the break-up of the side. You know, you know, Trevor and, and Gary go to Rangers and, and Scottish football was having a little... Philip there at the time with with, with Sunis up there, but I think the European ban had a massive effect on us. I think it had a massive effect in in English English football. Looking back, I thought it was it was a wrong decision. Mm-hmm. I think it was totally wrong, you know. And it's it's not pointing the finger at anybody, but our fans going to Europe enjoyed themselves, had a good time, you know. Went to to Rotterdam, police remarked on how well they were, everything else, and I think for everybody to be punished. Was wrong. I know hooliganism was was a big at the time in England, and I'm not saying, but I just think that for everybody to be punished, I thought was wrong. Uh, mm. But listen, here what was done, and it's done, and that we can't bring it back. You know, Heysel was was awful for everybody involved in it. Uh, but I thought the government at the time and, and Maggie Thatcher at the time was a little bit heavy handed, and I think it certainly affected Everton. You know, on and off the field. Uh, and listen, when you when you're playing, everybody knows when you're playing in Champions League or, or European Cup, as it was, everybody everybody wants to play. It. And I've talked about you know bringing players in of the same caliber and everything else. If we were in the European Cup year in year out, it would have been easier to attract mm. 
better players as it is now as yeah. it is now yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll go back to happier times mm-hmm. your second game Everton 2 QPR nil, 6th of May mm-hmm. 1985 again researching this has been like a whole new world for me because mm-hmm. it's before my time mm-hmm. um, we won the league with 5 games to go mm-hmm. I mean it's an hour I, I, can't, I can't comprehend that mm-hmm. in my head to mm-hmm. think that um, you scored your 30th goal on that day as well yeah. which is obviously a special memento mm-hmm. for you to do that mm-hmm. Um Again, just referring to the atmosphere, 50,000 yep. in Goodison that day. 52, Dave. Yeah. And I think there was more than that, if I'm honest. You people know, on the chair, exactly. everything. Yeah. As people remember now, or forget now, it was, uh, wasn't was seated, so it was all standing, so they're all, all jam packed in there, kind of thing. It was a fact. Don't think the official number would ever be no, uh, no, no, it something be. you could calculate no, really. Uh, but no, it was, and listen, we'd won it, uh, but everybody knew this was a, this was a day where. Could win it at Goodison and get presented with a trophy. Uh, and I remember the game well. Uh, I should have scored in the first half, but Derek Mountfield took it off my toes and lashed it in. I was fuming. Uh, <laughs> so we're 1 0 up, he scores in the in the, in the, in the park end. Uh, but second half, I managed to get ahead at the Gladys Street and listen, winning the league, scoring the goal at the Gladys Street to win the league, if you like. Okay, we won it five games, but to win the league, to cement it. Incredible moment for me, you know, and it was. Uh, I remember it now. Ball coming in, I think it was Pat swung it in yeah. and got on the back post and headed back across the goalkeeper 2 0. Brilliant, the noise and the atmosphere was incredible, but it was just a combination everything we'd worked so hard for, you know, and everybody was was out. And it was that same thing, as I said, Dave, we weren't going to get beat. We weren't mm. going to get beat. Queen's Park never came and rolled over. But we weren't going to get beat. Corner kick on the right-hand side. Sheedy will take it in towards the near post. Not headed away convincingly by Gregory. Back in by Gray. Bannon Howe, Mountfield, 1-0. Derek Mountfield breaks the deadlock. Here's Bracewell, midway inside the Rangers' half. Square to Pat Vanden Howe. Crossed in again with a left foot. Graham Sharp with a headed chance, 2-0. Graham Sharp's 30th of the season. Ignites the fuse. The party has started. Everton now are the champions. You can be sure of that. Everton have a throw-in just inside their own half on the left-hand side. The referee, milking the situation, has his whistle in his mouth. That's it. Champions. Everton complete the first leg of the treble and go on to Rotterdam and to Wembley as the champions of England. Howard, congratulations. How does the championship feel the second time around? Well, it feels very sweet tonight. Um, this is a hard slog. We start off in August and we want to, want to prove to be the best, like everyone else. And we've achieved that today. Um, with five games left, I think it's a tremendous achievement on behalf of the players. And that was just a, the spirit we had. And, you know, we went out there and we wanted to win every single game and we rolled our sleeves up and had a right good go. If somebody didn't do, it wasn't just Kevin Ratcliffe who was having a go. Everybody would be having a go at you. You know, there'd be 10 captains at half time. It would go off, so you'd have to do better. And Howard and, and Colin, Howard wasn't really an angry manager. Uh, Colin would say, say, and then, you know, you'd listen. But the players would do it as well. You know, the players would have a right good go at you and say, this isn't good enough. So this is what we had. So going out in the, and that, that game was, was incredible. Fantastic crowd, scoring the goal, picking the trophy up. Just this, the end of the season where we you sat back and thought, wow, whoa, whoa, this was fantastic. And I think if I remember right... We got ourselves dressed, food beers in the, in the, the players' lounge, out to Southport, in, into an Italian restaurant, uh, 
We told our, uh, our wives and girlfriends, don't join us until nine o'clock. So I can imagine by the time they came, <laughs> yeah. we'd had a few and uh, the tables were getting banged and ha- hand it over Liverpool. Was the, the song getting uh, shouted in Southport? So I don't thought the, the restaurant manager was too happy, but there was no stopping us enjoying that. It was a, a fabulous day and just a culmination of a great season. And you must think then at that period, you know, you've been this kid who's come down from Dumbarton, had mm-hmm. a difficult time establishing yourself at the football club. You've just knocked in your 30th goal of the season mm-hmm. to win the top prize in English football. How, how would you comprehend con- contrasting that at the time? Is it, is it a moment where you're like, I need to pinch myself here because I did not envisage this sort of thing happening? I didn't, Dave, but I think it's down to all the hard work that, you know... It's like a dream. Wow! If you win every game, it's a dream. Bang! Going this, we're going to Europe playing this. Bang! I'm playing by me dream. Uh, so it's, we were just enjoying every single moment. Enjoyed every single moment and made the most of it. Cause you could get an injury the next game. You know, Adrian Heath uh, unfortunately got a really bad injury uh, and missed a lot of the games. So you had to to enjoy it for the moment. Enjoy the moment. You know, it could easily be taken away from you. So. We enjoyed ourselves both on and off the field. We had a great team, a great camaraderie, a great spirit, and it was part and parcel of being a good team, you know. And I just think that, you know, will we get back to that? I don't think any team will get back to that in terms of the spirit we had. I honestly don't. I think football's mm. changed unbelievably now, but uh, you know, let's let's wait and see. Mm. Um, your third and final game and, and your most special moment at Goodison is the three-one against Bayern Munich. Um, you, you seem to always have a knack, I think, as well, looking th- back through your record of scoring just after half-time. <laughs> the man who gets us back into it. You did it in the 4-4 that you've referred yeah. to there as well um, to get us equalised against Liverpool. Um, and, and then we're 1-0 down at half-time against Bayern. And it, it's a famous quote from Howard that the Gladys Street mm-hmm. will, will suck the ball into the net. In, in regards to the atmosphere, was, and it'll sound cliche these days because there's a lot made of atmospheres at grounds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's a little bit of a... Full part on mm-hmm. many people's mm-hmm. parts to talk about how good atmospheres are at ground. Yeah, did it actually feel that way back then? Did it feel as if the crowd had a massive part to play yeah. in getting us back in that game? Yeah. Listen, Dave, going up, going up to the ground, we could sense it was a big game. In those days, you didn't go out for a warm up. But Adrian Heath, who was injured, who I spoke about earlier, went out to have a look around, and he's came back in. He's went, I've never seen anything like this at Goodison. This is incredible. We're like, what? What do you mean? We could hear everybody above the, the dressing rooms. And the, the the footfall going across the, the, the up the stairs and everything else, we thought, wow. But when we walked out that tunnel and hit the top step, the noise was incredible. They said, well, they said 52,000, more than that, a lot more than that. So it was an incredible night. We go a goal down, could have heard a pin drop, could have heard a pin drop. You know, this didn't happen to ever. You know, going to go down against a big side, Bayern Munich, really top side, top players, Get in at half time and you're, you're, you're spot on, Howard. Listen, keep doing what you're doing. You're not doing anything wrong. I can't fault you. Keep getting the ball in the box and they'll suck one in for the Gladys Street. That's what happened. Long throw from Gary and I got on the end of it. A flick header kind of thing. We're back in the game. Once we're back in the game, as I said to you before, we weren't losing that game. You know, there's only going to be one winners and you could see them physically wilt, you know, Bayern Munich. They're a big team, you know, playing in big atmospheres. But that night, they wilted, you know, we were just relentless, winning everything, Andy scores the second, then Trevor wraps it up 3-1, but the whole night was, and I'd speak to my, 
like, you know, my uh, my wife's family, who are all mad Celtic fans, have been to all the European nights at Celtic in the past, from the 60s and the 70s, and they all came down in the droves for that night, and they said that they'd never witnessed a European night like that. You know, and Celtic are renowned for great nights at Parkhead, but they said they'd never witnessed anything like that, and it was a fantastic night, fantastic result on the end of it. We knew then, once we won that game, We'd won the European Cup Winners' Cup final because we'd beat Celtic at Rapid Vienna, who got in, whoever got in the next semi final. Uh, we knew we would beat them, but that was a final in itself, and the whole thing about it from start to finish was incredible. Here's Kurgle now with a chance for Bayern Munich. Edge of the penalty area. Great save by Neville Southall. Hernie still has an opportunity. Great chance for him to score and he has done. And that is the away goal that Bayern Munich have been seeking. And Dieter Hernis has scored it. Bounced off Argentala. Had a play for an Everton throw. 20 yards from the corner flag on the right-hand side. Gary Stevens will take it. In towards Andy Gray. Up go the heads. Flicked on towards Sharp. Oh, he's there! Graham Sharp has touched it in. And Everton are level. Andy Gray's header under the near post. and keeps up the record at the time that Everton needed it most. One more, and it's Rotterdam. Stevens takes a throw in towards the near post. Fahel, no, he didn't. Gray locked it in. It's a goal. Andy Gray has put Everton in front. Bayern are furious because Faf came for the long throw. Felt he was impeded, didn't collect it. But Andy Gray didn't stand around and find out. He thumped it in the back of the net. Celebration time at Goodison Park. They're very close to their first European final now because Andy Gray, a hat-trick in the quarter-final, has come up with a crucial semi-final goal. And Everton are in front and are on the way to Holland. Forced on towards Andy Gray, breaking inside the Bayern half. Trevor Stephen has a great chance. Edge of the penalty area. Trevor Stephen sends Everton to the final. 3-1 the score on the night. And that will be the goal that does it. Competition sends Everton to their first ever final, and you can tell your grandchildren about this night. A lot of people talk about atmospheres these days. Mm. Goodison in its heyday, like that. Mm. Was it? Was it? Obviously, it's a motivational factor because you're playing at home mm. anyway, and it's obviously a little bit easier to play at home with the mm. crowd on your mm. side, given how volatile it can be, as yeah. we've seen maybe more modern day. Mm. Did it get you over the line in, in in a lot of games? Is it is it something that you look back on and think, you know what, if we were playing away, we perhaps wouldn't have got back into this because we needed the crowd on our side? Yeah, maybe, but I'd l- listen, I'd, I'd look at Everton now and I'd look at their away support and that should get you over the line, even the away support, 3,000, hmm. 3,000, 4,000 fans going away from home and the way they travel in numbers should get you going. Obviously it doesn't at times, but it should do. But certainly getting having the fans behind you, you know, at home will get you over the line. When when they need you, and it's a it's a big debate debatable point. Do the fans get behind the team and lift the team, or do the team lift the fans? In our day, it was both, and we knew when we needed a little bit of help, we'd get it. You know, and and seeing them travel as well, Dave, in the thousands, you know, it was incredible for us. And when money was tight, but they still made it, and they still made that effort to go abroad and to the continent, everywhere else, it was fantastic. So we knew that we could rely on them and I hope that we they could say that they relied on us mm. you know, because together it was a fantastic experience to be a to be a player at the time and I'm sure a fan as well it stays a numbered as we know Bramley Moore looks well mm. fingers crossed touch wood nothing's ever mm. certain with us but mm. looks like we're going to be ending up there yeah. what will you miss about Goodison the most 
I think I've missed it for a long time. Is the atmosphere, and I still, and I still think that, you know, and I know it's a very debatable point, you know, but uh, it's different now. The atmosphere in stadiums are different since they've been all seater. I agree with that. You know, with some clubs, Celtic, as I mentioned, have had a, a safe standing area now at Celtic Park. You know, whether Bramley Moor accommodates that, I think they've, they've talked about it. But I think we need to get the atmosphere back in the football stadiums. I don't know how we do it. You know, obviously, a, t- a, f- a winning team will, will help. Don't get me wrong, but I think I look at I look at Germany and when I see German stadiums packed and the atmosphere is incredible, and we need to get back to that a little bit. I think we've become a little bit blasé, but we just we've just sat back and thought, just let's wait and see. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be great to get back to the times and mm-hmm. you're playing in front of you know fantastic uh, atmospheric stadiums. Uh, I think you go to Premier League games now and it's it's like sitting watching a film. You know, I think mm. if we can get back to the days where we, we, we knew Goodison was a fortress, if we can go to Bramley Moor Dock and make that a fortress and make teams, and, and I talked to players who have signed for Everton and they used to say, we hated coming to Goodison. And I'd say, why? He said, the crowd were very close to the pitch, right on their backs. Uh, you get every decision. It was a hostile place to play. That's what Goodison was all about and the fans had a massive part to play in that. Just one more thing before... We finish this mm. um, when we leave the day we leave. Be a sad day, won't it, for all Evertonians yeah, and, we'll and yourself? As yeah, well. we'll do because listen, but we have to move on. You know, we're, we're falling behind and we have to move on, and this is what we have to do. You know, but the the good thing is that we aren't we ain't leaving L four. You know, we're still going to have a legacy there, which is important because it's been a massive part of the area, and it's something that we'll, we'll never ever forget. We've been in fantastic times. Everybody will have their own their own memories. Uh, but we have to move forward, you know, and it's an, exciting, an exciting chapter for the football club at this moment in time. And, and fingers crossed it goes well and we'll have a fantastic stadium on the banks of the Royal Blue Mersey. What makes for a great vacation? Depends on who you ask. Are you looking to get away or bring everyone together? Do you want to get outside and play or see a play at the plate? Fortunately, however you operate, I'm the destination you've been looking for. The name's Missouri, but you can call me Mo. And I have just one question. What's your MO? To find your MO, tap now. Or for information on safe travel, come see me at visitmo.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.